0: Chapter 10 of Campaigning with Grant by Horace Porter. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 10. Grant crosses the Pamunkey. Maneuvering for position. Grant interviews a prisoner. Region of the Totopotomac. Grant seizes old Cold Harbor. W. F. Smith's troops join the Army of the Potomac. Grant disciplines a teamster. Grant's fondness for horses. Moving into position the halt at bethesda church as soon as all the commands had safely recrossed the north anna general grant set out on the morning of may twenty seven and marched with the troops in the new movements to the left sheridan with two divisions of his cavalry had started east the afternoon of the day before and had moved rapidly to hanover town on the pamunkey a distance of nearly thirty miles on the march the general-in-chief as he rode by was vociferously cheered as usual by the troops every movement directed by him inspired the men with new confidence in his ability and his watchfulness over their interests and not only the officers but the rank and file understood fully that he had saved them on the north anna from the slaughter which would probably have occurred if they had been thrown against lee's formidable entrenchments and had had to fight a battle with their backs to a river that he had skilfully withdrawn them without the loss of a man or a wagon and that they were again making an advanced movement the soldiers by this time were getting on intimate terms with their commander in fact becoming quite chummy one man in the ranks touched his hat as the chief rode by and asked is it all right general he received a nod of the head in reply and the words yes i think so another man looked up at him and said in an earnest tone general we'll lick em sure pop next time these remarks were not attempts at undue familiarity but expressions of a genuine sentiment of soldierly fellowship which the men had learned to entertain toward their chief that night general headquarters were established at mangolic church about twenty miles in a southeasterly direction from quarles's ford the cavalry had been handled with great skill it made a feint as if to cross at littlepage's and taylor's fords on the pamunkey and after dark moved rapidly to hanover ferry about twelve miles farther down the stream where the actual crossing took place on the morning of the twenty seventh it was followed by russell's division of infantry the rest of the troops had made a good march and soon after midday on may twenty eighth wright hancock and warren had crossed the river and gone into position about a mile and a half beyond burnside had reached the ferry but remained on the north side to guard the trains general grant had pushed on to hanover ferry and expressed himself as greatly pleased at the success of the movement he had abundant reason to congratulate himself upon the thorough carrying out of his instructions in each of his three attempts to move close to lee's troops and cross difficult rivers in his very face grant had been completely successful and had manoeuvred so as to accomplish a most formidable task in warfare with insignificant loss in the operations of the last few days general grant had employed with wonderful skill his chief military characteristics of quickness of thought celerity of action and fertility of resource while his plans were always well matured and much thought and investigation were expended upon perfecting them in advance yet they were sufficiently general in their nature to admit readily of those changes which often have to be made upon the instant in consequence of some unanticipated movement of the enemy or some unexpected discovery in the topography of the field of operations it seemed a little singular to him that lee after falling back behind the north anna river had allowed the union army to advance across that difficult stream without any substantial resistance and that when across he had made a stand with his back to another river the south anna and remained there entirely passive and that three days afterward he had permitted the union army to withdraw across the north anna under his very nose without even attacking its rear guards it was these circumstances which made grant say at this time and also write to the government lee's army is really whipped a battle with them outside of intrenchments cannot be had our base of supplies was now transferred from port royal to white house on the york river before describing the personal incidents connected with what is known as the cold harbor campaign it is important to give the reader a general idea of the character of the country in which the maneuvering and fighting occurred hanover town near which place our army had now been concentrated is about seventeen miles in a straight line northeast from richmond the country is crossed by two streams totopotami creek and the chickahominy river both running in a southeasterly direction the latter being about four miles from richmond at the nearest point between these are a number of smaller creeks and rivulets their banks are low and their approaches swampy and covered with woods and thickets three main roads lead from hanover town to richmond the most northerly is called the hanover town or shady grove road the second route the mechanicsville road and the third and most southerly which runs through old cold harbor new cold harbor and gaines mill is known as the cold harbor road old cold harbor halfway between hanover town and richmond consisted merely of a few scattered houses but its strategic position was important for reasons which will hereafter appear new cold harbor was little more than the intersection of crossroads, about a mile and a half west of old cold harbor it was at first supposed that cold harbor was a corruption of the phrase Cool Arbor and the shade trees in the vicinity seemed to suggest such a name. But it was ascertained afterward that the name Cold Harbor was correct, that it had been taken from the places frequently found along the highways of England and means shelter without fire. On May twenty eighth, Sheridan was pushed out toward Mechanicsville to discover the enemy's position, and after a sharp fight at Haw's shop, drove a body of the enemy out of some earthworks in which it was posted that night the ninth corps crossed the river wilson's cavalry divisions remained on the north side until the morning of the thirtieth to cover the crossing of the trains general headquarters had crossed the pamunkey on the pontoon bridge in the afternoon of may twenty eighth after a hard dusty ride and had gone into camp on the south side in the meantime lee had moved his entire army rapidly from the north anna and thrown it between our army and richmond on the morning of the twenty ninth wright hancock and warren were directed to move forward and make a reconnaissance in force which brought about some spirited fighting the movement disclosed the fact that all of lee's troops were in position on the north side of the chickahominy and were well entrenched general grant was particularly anxious that evening to obtain information of the enemy from some inside source several prisoners had been taken and one of them who was disposed to be particularly talkative was brought into headquarters it being thought that the general might like to examine him in person he was a tall slim shock-headed comical-looking creature and proved to be so full of native humour that i give the portion of his conversation which afforded us the most amusement he of course did not know in whose presence he was as he rattled off his quick-witted remarks what command do you belong to asked the general i'm an earless corps and i belong to a north carolina regiment sir was the reply oh you're from north carolina remarked the general yes said the prisoner and a good deal farther from it just now than i'd like to be god knows well where were you taken and how did you get here was the next asked how'd i get here well when a man has half a dozen of them thou reckless and disparate dagoons of yourn lammin' him round the road on a tight run and wallop him with the flats of their sabers I don't have no trouble getting here is your whole corps in our front and when did it arrive inquired the general well, now, just let me tell you about that said the prisoner, and let me begin right from the start. I'm not going to fool you, cause I'm fast losing interest in this fight. I was a peaceful man, and I didn't want to hurt nobody when a conscript officer down thar in the old tar state came round and told me I'd have to get into the ranks and go to fightin for my rights. I tried to have him point em out for me. I told him I'd as lief have em all, but I wasn't strenuous about it then he began to put on more airs than a bucking horse at a county fair and told me to come right along that the country wanted me well i had noticed that our folks was losing a good many battles that you-all was too much for em and i got to flattering myself that perhaps it was only right for me to go and join our army just to kind of even things up but matters has been going pretty rough with us ever since and i'm getting to feel peacefuller and peacefuller every day they're feedin us half the time on crumbs and there's one boy in my company that's got so thin you have to throw a tent fly over him to get up a respectable shadow then they have a way of campin us alongside of creeks not much bigger than a slate pencil and you have to be powerful quick about gettin what water you want or some thirsty cow'll come along and drink up the whole stream i thought from all the fuss she had made at the start that south carolina was going to fight the whole war through herself and make it a picnic for the rest of us but when there's real trouble she has to get the old tar state to do the solid work are there any men from south carolina in your brigade was the next question the answer came with a serio-comic expression of countenance yes a few in the band the general suppressed the laugh with which he was now struggling and feeling that an effort to get any useful information from the north carolinian would be a slow process disappeared into his tent to attend to some correspondence and left the prisoner to be further interviewed by the staff i tell you gentlemen went on the confederate there's lots of cobwebs in my throat and i could talk to you-all a good deal better if i only had a dish of liquor there's nothing braces a man up like taking a little of the tanglefoot Thereupon, a canteen and cup were brought, and after the man had poured out about four fingers of commissary whiskey and tossed it off as if it were water, he looked considerably invigorated. Nothin as soothin' as corn juice. After all, he continued, I like to live in Kentucky. Them Kentucky fellers say they can walk right into a cornfield, strip off an ear, and just squeeze a drink o' whiskey right out in it. How did you happen to be picked up? Was now asked well you see sir he replied our captain jimmy skipworth marched me out on his picket line cap'n jimmy's one of them the slack-twisted loose-belted toggle-jenty kind of fellers that sends you straight out to the front and if you don't get killed right off why he gets all out of patience and thinks you want to live forever you can't get away because he's always keeping tab on you when he marched us out to-day, I says to him, Cap'n Jimmy, there want not to be enough of the boys a-comin along with us. Now, I tell you, when we go to monkeyin with him Yankees, we ought to have plenty of company. We don't want to feel lonesome. Well, we got there and went to diggin a ditch so we could flop down in it and protect our heads and could use it afterward for buryin you all in it if we could get hold of you. "'Well, just then you opened lively and come up at us a-whooping and a careerin like sin, and as for me, I took a header for the ditch. The boys saw something drop, and I didn't make any effort to pick it up again till the misunderstanding was over. The first thing I knowed after that, you lighted onto me, yanked me out of the hole, and then turned me over to some of you dragoons, and, Lord, how they did run me into your lines, and so here I am.' after the provost marshal's people had been told to take the prisoner to the rear and treat him well the man before moving on said man, i would like mighty well to see that that newfangled weepin' of yours that shoots like it was a whole platoon that tell me you can load it up on sunday and fire it off all the rest of the week he had derived this notion from the spencer carbine the new magazine gun which fired seven shots in rapid succession after this exhibition of his talent for dialogue, he was marched off to join the other prisoners. On May 30, Wright, Hancock, and Warren engaged the enemy in their respective fronts, which led to some active skirmishing, the enemy's skirmishers being in most places strongly entrenched. Burnside this day crossed the Totopotamoy, Early's formerly Ewell's corps, moved out with the evident intention of turning our left, and made a heavy attack, but was repulsed and forced to fall back after suffering a severe loss particularly in field officers about noon grant received word that transports bringing w f smith's troops from butler's army were beginning to arrive at white house and they were ordered to move forward at once and join the army of the potomac General Grant thought that it was not improbable that the enemy would endeavor to throw troops around our left flank in the hope of striking Smith a crushing blow before we could detach a force from the Army of the Potomac to prevent it. Sheridan was directed to watch for such a movement, and an infantry brigade was sent out early that morning to join Smith and march back with him so as to strengthen his forces general grant said at this time nothing would please me better than to have the enemy make a movement around our left flank i would in that case move the whole army to the right and throw it between lee and richmond but this opportunity did not arise on may thirty the general headquarters had been established in a clearing on the north side of the shady grove road about a mile and three-quarters west of Hawes's shop general grant this day sent a dispatch to halleck at washington saying i wish you would send all the pontoon bridging you can to city point to have it ready in case it is wanted as early as may twenty sixth staff officers had been sent from the army of the potomac to collect all the bridging material at command and hold it in readiness this was done in order to be prepared to cross the james river if deemed best and attack richmond and petersburg from the south side and carry out the views expressed by grant in the beginning of the wilderness campaign as to his movements in certain contingencies it was seen by him from the operations of the thirtieth that the enemy was working his way southward by extending his right flank with a view to securing old cold harbor and holding the roads running from that point toward the james river and white house this would cut off grant's short route to the james in case he should decide to cross that river and would also command the principal line of communication with his base at white house old cold harbor was therefore a point much desired by both the contending generals and the operations of the thirty first were watched with much interest to see which army would secure the prize that morning my orders took me to the extreme left in connection with the movements of the cavalry sheridan advanced rapidly from old cold harbor attacked a body of the enemy entrenched there and after a severe fight carried the position the place however was too important to be abandoned by the enemy without a further struggle and he soon returned bringing up a force so large that it appeared for a time impossible for sheridan to hold his position finding no troops advancing to his support the only course which seemed open to him was to fall back but just as he had withdrawn he received an order to hold the place at all hazards until reinforcements could reach him with his usual zeal and boldness he now reoccupied the enemy's breastworks dismounted his men and determined to make a desperate struggle to hold the position against whatever force might be sent against him darkness set in however before the enemy made another assault in anticipation of a hard fight for the possession of cold harbor general grant had ordered wright's corps to make a night march and move to sheridan's relief lee discovering this ordered anderson's corps to cold harbor on sheridan's front during the night we could distinctly hear the enemy's troops making preparations for the next morning's attack and could even hear some of the commands given by their officers soon after daylight on june one the assault began sheridan kept quiet till the attacking party came within a short distance of his breastworks and then opened with a destructive fire under which the enemy fell back in considerable confusion he soon rallied however and rushed again to the assault but once more recoiled before sheridan's well-delivered volleys wright had been instructed to arrive at daylight but the night march had been exceptionally difficult and the head of his column did not appear until nine o'clock The troops were footsore and jaded, but they moved promptly into line and relieved Sheridan's little force, which had been fighting desperately against great odds for about four hours. Grant had secured Old Cold Harbor and won the game. Smith's corps consisted of 13,000 men. He left about 2,500 to guard White House and with the rest started for the front, reaching there at 3 o'clock in the afternoon of June 1, at five o'clock wright's and smith's commands advanced and captured the earthworks in their front taking about seven hundred and fifty prisoners the enemy had made three attacks upon warren but had been handsomely repulsed hancock and burnside had also been attacked no doubt to prevent them from sending troops to reinforce our left the enemy seemed roused to desperation in his struggle to gain the much-coveted strategic point at old cold harbor and made several savage attacks in that direction during the night but they were all successfully repelled in gaining and holding the important position sought the union army that day lost nearly two thousand men in killed and in wounded the enemy probably suffered to about the same extent headquarters were moved about two miles this day june one to the villa house which was half a mile south of totopotomoy creek on the road leading from Haw's shop to bethesda church before starting the general servant asked whether he should saddle jeff davis the horse grant had been riding for two days no was the reply we are getting into a rather swampy country and i fear little jeff's legs are not quite long enough for wading through the mud you'd better saddle egypt this horse was large in size and a medium colored bay he was called egypt not because he had come from the region of the nile but from the junction of the mississippi and ohio rivers in southern illinois a section of the country named after the land of the ptolemies when the horse was brought up the general mounted as usual in a manner peculiar to himself he made no perceptible effort and used his hands but little to aid him He put his left foot in the stirrup, grasped the horse's mane near the withers with his left hand, and rose without making a spring by simply straightening the left leg till his body was high enough to enable him to throw the right leg over the saddle. There was no climbing up the animal's side and no jerky movements. The mounting was always done in an instant and with the greatest possible ease. Rollins rode with the general at the head of the staff, as the party turned a bend in the road near the crossing of the todopotamoy the general came in sight of a teamster whose wagon was stalled in a place where it was somewhat swampy and who was standing beside his team beating his horses brutally in the face with the butt-end of his whip and swearing with a volubility calculated to give a sulphurous odor to all the surrounding atmosphere grant's aversion to profanity and his love of horses caused all the ire in his nature to be aroused by the sight presented. Putting both spurs into Egypt's flanks, he dashed toward the teamster, and raising his clenched fist, called out to him, "'What does this conduct mean, you scoundrel? Stop beating those horses!' The teamster looked at him and said coolly as he delivered another blow, aimed at the face of the wheel-horse, "'Well, who's driving this team anyway, you or me?' the general was now thoroughly angered and his manner was by no means as angelic as that of the celestial being who called a halt when balaam was disciplining the ass i'll show you you infernal villain he cried shaking his fist in the man's face then calling to an officer of the escort he said take this man in charge and have him tied up to a tree for six hours as a punishment for his brutality The man slunk off sullenly in charge of the escort to receive his punishment without showing any penitence for his conduct. He was evidently a hardened case. Of course he was not aware that the officer addressing him was the general-in-chief, but he evidently knew that he was an officer of high rank, as he was accompanied by a staff and an escort, so that there was no excuse for the insubordinate and insolent remark during the stirring scenes of that day's battle the general twice referred to the incident in vehement language showing that the recollection of it was still rankling in his mind this was the one exhibition of temper manifested by him during the entire campaign and the only one i ever witnessed during my many years of service with him i remarked that night to colonel bowers who had served with his chief ever since the fort donelson campaign the general today gave us his first exhibition of anger did you ever see him fire up in that way in his earlier campaigns never but once said bowers and that was in the Yucca campaign one day on the march he came across a straggler who had stopped at a house and assaulted a woman the general sprang from his horse seized a musket from the hands of a soldier and struck the culprit over the head with it sending him sprawling to the ground he always had a peculiar horror of such crimes they were very rare in our war but when brought to his attention the general showed no mercy to the culprit grant and meade rode along the lines that day and learned from personal observation the general features of the topography about noon they stopped at wright's headquarters and the commander of the sixth corps gave the party some delicious ice-water he had found an ice-house near his headquarters and after a hot and dusty ride since daylight the cool draught was gratefully relished by those whose thirst it slaked the previous winter had been unusually cold and an abundance of ice had formed upon the streams in virginia the well-filled ice-houses found on the line of march were a great boon to the wounded general wright had assumed command of the sixth corps at a critical period of the campaign and under very trying circumstances but he had conducted it with such heroic gallantry and marked ability that he had commended himself highly to both grant and Meade. that night the variety of food at the headquarters mess was increased by the arrival of a supply of oysters received by way of white house Shellfish were among the few dishes which tempted the general's appetite and as he had been living principally on roast beef and hard bread during the whole campaign and had not eaten enough of these to sustain life in an ordinary person every one was delighted that evening when sitting down at the mess-table to see the general attack the oysters with evident relish and make a hearty meal of them thereafter every effort was made to get a supply of that species of sea-food as often as possible at the dinner-table he referred again to the brutality of the teamster, saying if people knew how much more they could get out of a horse by gentleness than by harshness they would save a great deal of trouble both to the horse and the man a horse is a particularly intelligent animal he can be made to do almost anything if his master has intelligence enough to let him know what is required some men for instance when they want to lead a horse forward turn toward him and stare him in the face he of course thinks they are barring his way and he stands still if they would turn their back to him and move on he would naturally follow i am looking forward longingly to the time when we can end this war and i can settle down on my st louis farm and raise horses i love to train young colts and i will invite you all to visit me and take a hand in the amusement when the old age comes on and i get too feeble to move about i expect to derive my chief pleasure from sitting in a big armchair in the centre of a ring a sort of training course holding a colt's leading line in my hand and watching him run around the ring he little foresaw that a torturing disease was to cut short his life before he could realize his cherished hopes of enjoying the happiness of the peaceful old age which he anticipated No warrior was ever more anxious for peace, and all of the general's references to the pending strife evinced his constant longing for the termination of the struggle upon terms which would secure forever the integrity of the Union. When he prepared his letter of acceptance of his first nomination for the presidency, he wrote no random phrase, but expressed the genuine sentiments of his heart when he said, "'Let us have peace.' the night of the first of june was a busy one for both officers and men grant eager as usual to push the advantage gained set about making such disposition of the troops as would best accomplish this purpose hancock was ordered to move after nightfall from the extreme right to the extreme left of the army the night was extremely dark especially when passing through the woods no one was familiar with the roads the heat was intense and the dust stifling but notwithstanding all the difficulties encountered hancock arrived at old cold harbor on the morning of june 2 after a march of over twelve miles as the men were greatly exhausted however from hunger and fatigue they had to be given an opportunity to rest and eat their rations and it was found impossible to make a formidable assault until five o'clock in the afternoon warren and burnside were both attacked while they were moving their troops but they repelled all assaults and caused the enemy considerable loss at daylight on june two the headquarters were moved about two miles south to a camp near bethesda church so as to be nearer the center of the line which had been extended toward the left upon reaching the church and while waiting for the arrival of the wagons and the pitching of the tents a number of important orders were issued the pews had been carried out of the church and placed in the shade of the trees surrounding it the general-in-chief and his officers seated themselves in the pews while the horses were taken to a little distance in the rear the ubiquitous photographers were promptly on the ground and they succeeded in taking several fairly good views of the group a supply of new york papers had just been received and the party with the exception of the general were soon absorbed in reading the news he was too much occupied at the time in thinking over his plans for the day to give attention to the papers and was content to hear from the staff a summary of anything of importance mentioned in the press he was usually a diligent reader of the newspapers and of all current literature there was one new york morning journal which claimed a special previous knowledge of his movements and made some very clever guesses concerning his plans he used to call this paper his organ and upon the arrival of the mail he would generally pick it up first and remark now let me see what my organ has to say and then i can tell better what i am going to do a large delegation of the christian commission had arrived at white house and was now moving up toward the lines with a supply train which carried many comforts for the wounded i saw among the number a person whom i recognized as the pastor of a church which i had attended some years before he was trudging along like the others in his shirt-sleeves wearing a broad-brimmed slouch hat and was covered with virginia dust i presented him to general grant and the rest of the officers and then brought up a number of the other members of the commission and presented them in turn general grant rose to his feet shook hands with them and greeted them all with great cordiality then resuming his seat he said sit down gentlemen and rest you look tired after your march they thanked him and several of them took seats in the church pews near him though considering their professional training most of them would have doubtless felt more at home in the pulpit than in the pews the general continued by saying i am very glad to see you coming to the army on your present mission unfortunately you will find an extensive field for your work my greatest concern in this campaign is the care of the large number of wounded our surgeons have been unremitting in their labors and i know you can be of great assistance The gentlemen replied, "'We have brought with us everything that we thought could minister to the comfort of the wounded, and we will devote ourselves religiously to the work.' After the general had assured them that they should have all necessary transportation put at their disposal, they bid him good-bye, and continued their march. His parting words were, "'Remember, gentlemen, whatever instructions you may receive, let your first care be for the wounded.' Before leaving, they expressed to the staff their great delight in having had this unexpected chat with the commander of the armies, and having been treated by him with so much consideration. The Christian commission, as well as the sanitary commission, was often of inestimable service to the wounded, and many a gallant fellow owed his life to its kindly and devoted ministerings. End of chapter 10